0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's Word in order to live God's way. Praise Jesus. Yes, we are back in Ephesians tonight. If you remember from months ago when we uh, left Ephesians, we are going to go back and finish now. Uh, And I am excited about being in one of my favorite books. But right now, let's pray one more time. And Jesus, we come back to tread on holy ground and to see in your word uh, what you are saying to us. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us to hear that word tonight. So that we will be able to put off our sins and become More like Jesus Christ in this life. Bless us, Jesus, so that we can be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, when we were in Ephesians many months ago, my last sermon was on Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 24. The main point I wanted to make in that sermon was that we need to have clothes that never go out of style. I used the metaphor of clothes, because that's exactly what Paul did in this passage in Ephesians 4, to 24 He says, put off your old self. He uses the idea of taking off your clothes, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And finally, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I said in that sermon, if you are going to be forever fashionable, or fashionable forever, you must be desperate to wear eternal fashion. The idea is that if you are going to be godly, it must be a passion Of yours to be godly. I wanted to catch the flavor of what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 8. In that passage, Paul ditches the metaphor about clothes and eternal fashion, and he speaks plainly. He said, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Being godly, wearing this eternal fashion, is of value now and forever. Therefore, what do we do? You and I must do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to have that godliness, to be desperate to wear eternal fashion. Now, because there has been this extended break, several things happened. Christmas, I went off uh, to school for a couple of weeks, and then for several weeks uh, did a series about worldview and philosophy and ethics because of my school, uh, I decided that it would behoove me and it would benefit us to go back to the same passage. I'm preaching an entirely different sermon, but it's the same passage. And tonight, I want to emphasize that the clothes that we're putting off, according to Paul, are the thoughts that we think the main point that we're going to have tonight is what you dwell on what you think about determines how well you live what you dwell on or what you think about determines how well you will live and for the scripture reading i want to read it through in a good paraphrase now this is a paraphrase this is not The literal translation, when we get to the exposition, we're going to go through the ESV. But I want to read how the New Living Translation uh, paraphrases this, because I think it gives us a good flavor. It'll be up here. But it says, With the Lord's authority, let me say this. Live no longer as the ungodly do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their closed minds are full of darkness. They are far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They don't care anymore about right and wrong. And they have given themselves over to immoral ways. Their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed. But that isn't what you were taught "...when you learned about Christ, since you have heard all about Him and have learned the truth that is in Jesus. Throw off your old evil nature and your former way of life, which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. Instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. You must display a new nature because you are a new person." Created to be like God, God's likeness, righteous, holy, and true. That's weird. That that's a little bit different, isn't it? Oh, well. What you dwell on determines how well you live. What you dwell on in your head, in your heart, will determine how how well you live. Now with this paraphrase ringing in our ears, let's look at the passage one thought at a time. We start with verse 17. Where Paul says, "Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds." That's the phrase, this idea of in the futility of their minds is what we're going to be interested in tonight. The New Living Translation paraphrases it as hopelessly confused. I I, I like how that image, the futility of their minds being hopelessly confused, I think it communicates exactly what is going on. And as Christians, you and I, if you want to fill in your notes, this is your first blank. Your first blank says, refuse to live with futile thoughts. The first command we get out of this passage is that you and I must refuse to live anymore with futile thoughts. Now, Paul is going to unpack what it means to live in the futility of their minds here in verses 17 through 19, and then he's going to offer us the solution. How do we deal with living with futile thoughts in verses 20 to 24? Now, in our verse, Paul mentions The unbelievers. He calls them Gentiles. But the point he's getting at is these are unbelievers. Now, he's making a generalization here because not even all believers do all the things that he's talking about. But the point is is that you and I must not live like those who are godless. Because the godless live in a way that is futile. There is no useful result to their life. There is nothing of value and or importance. Whatever it is that they have accomplished, unbelievers live futile lives because they have trifled with the most significant. If there are two things in this world that you don't want to trifle with, it is God. And the time that he has given you on this earth. But when you think about it. Those are the two things that we most trifle with. Deal dismissively with God. And deal dismissively burning time. But those are the two things that we must not do. What you dwell on determines how well You will live. Now tonight, if you are used to being with me, I don't want to focus on the normal sins that we talk about here. Bitterness, lust, rooting for the giants. Tonight, instead, I want to focus on the sin that I struggle most with because I think it makes an easy application, an obvious application of Paul's message to control your thought tonight. I want to focus on coveting, which Paul calls idolatry. And so I found some verses that go right hand in hand with what we're talking about tonight in the Old Testament. And the first one is Psalm 119.37, where the psalmist says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. The worthless things that he talks about right here, Paul or the psalmist is referring to whatever newest or best or coolest gizmo that you can find yourself coveting at the moment. And we look at these newest, coolest gizmos as giving us life. We think that they're going to make us happy and they're going to meet some needs. If I only had blank, I would be happy. But the psalmist says, turn my eyes. And this is just another way of saying, protect me from these futile thoughts that Paul is talking about. Or as Solomon said, guard your hearts, for from it, from it flow the springs of life. But then the question is, guard from what? What is it that we need to guard from when we're coveting things that are going to burn? Well, Job tells us the answer he says let him let us let me not trust in emptiness again when you're reading this verse translate emptiness with whatever blank you want to fill it in with whatever thing that you're coveting and he says what's going on this is 4100 years ago he says this person is deceiving himself he's lying to himself For emptiness will be his payment. The payment for going out and buying some big new gizmo is having a big new gizmo charge on your credit card. People buying things that they don't need with money that they don't have to impress people they don't know. Hmm. Sounds like that might be a problem in our country. Probably not though, right? Jonah, while he's sitting in the belly of the great fish, finally comes to his his senses. And he tells us, I think, one of the most important things we need to know in this regard, in verse 2-8, where he says, Those who pay regard to vain, futile, worthless, empty idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This was one of those verses the first time I ran across it. You ever get one of those verses and it jumps off the page as if it's written in neon lights? This was one of those for me when I realized, oh my goodness, if I keep chasing after some silly idol, I'm going to lose what is really most important. Now I think it's a valid question to ask, what does this forsaking their hope of steadfast love look like? Well, Paul spells it out exactly in our passage. In verse 18, he says, these unbelievers, these people who are chasing vain, empty, worthless idols. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and they have given up themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity and i like how the new living translation paraphrases the first clause they say it says their are closed minds it's ironic to me that so many people who call themselves free thinkers quote unquote because that's what atheists call themselves nowadays are usually the most narrow-minded closed off to others ideas if you remember a few weeks ago we talked about atheism and we discussed how atheism is basically a rebellion against authority that it really does boil down to that. Now they have you know their their arguments for why they're atheists but in the excellent book Faith of the Fatherless it describes the Various roots of atheism. And one of the most significant is this rebellion. But get this. This is what kills me about it. In their desire to be avant-garde. To be different than everybody else. They are about as cookie cutter as you can get. They, They just keep repeating the same words. They dress the same way. I'm like, hello? Christianity has so much more to offer than that. And hopefully, I think there's at least a few of you who recognize in this passage it's very reminiscent of Romans chapter one, where Paul repeatedly says that God gave them up; he gave them up to some new foolishness, as they took these people took another step towards living out the wrath of God. Why? Why do they choose or why do they go down this path? Well, Paul tells us in verse 21. He says, For although they knew God, okay, God put eternity in our hearts so that we are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. By the way, if you're paying attention and we want to answer this question, how do I live my life without these futile thoughts? Well, here's your first answer. Your first answer is right here. It says, give honor to God because He is God and give thanks to Him because that is how we live without our foolish minds being darkened. Our hearts are darkened and we end up the place described here in Ephesians 4 and and in that place described in the second half of Romans 1. And what we find is we are in a bad place indeed. Our foolish minds are darkened. We are alienated from God and we are living in ignorance. But that's what Jonah said would happen. Those who first who pay regard or cling to worthless idols, forsake the grace that could be there. That's the next slide there. So what's the solution? The solution, in part, is found in Psalm 24.4. Another one of my favorite verses. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. I should have had the verse 3 up here. Who shall dwell in the house of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, he who does not lift up his soul to what is false. There's almost nothing so false as worshiping something, because as soon as you have this new thing, then you're going to have another thing that goes with it in order to make your thing com- collection complete. Hey, does anybody know what I'm talking about here? <laughs> As soon as you get one thing, you have to have two more, one to protect it and another one to do something else with it. He who does not lift his soul up to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. My friends, the 10th commandment is do not covet. Coveting your neighbor's wife, his house, his field, his 80-inch LCD TV, or his giant 2006 F-250, This kind of coveting is lifting up your soul to what is false. But instead, the solution, look to another one of these neon verses for me. Hebrews 13.9 For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It is good for your heart to be strengthened by grace. How are we strengthened by grace? By dwelling on grace. Rather than dwelling on some thing. Or some relationship. Or some desire. Dwell on what God has done for you. Because what you dwell on determines how well you live. Dwell on grace so you will live well. What you think about determines how well you live. So think about grace so you will live well. What you value determines how well you live. So value grace above anything and everything else. And remember, you and I can measure what it is that we dwell on and value by how much time, talent, and energy, and treasure you invest in whatever you're thinking about. I mean, let's get to brass tacks about this. If you keep on thinking about some new thing and you let your mind continue to spin in that, then you're just going to want it. You're going to have to have it. And eventually, you will have it. Now, this is true when you're talking about lust. This is true when you're talking about bitterness. This is true when you're talking about coveting. It's true when you're talking about any kind of sin. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, that is the problem. The problem is that we get wrapped up in too much futile thinking and what you dwell on determines how well you live. But Paul continues. He continues in his passage of verse 20. He says, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. I remember first coming across this verse in my Ephesians class in seminary. And it stood out to me because Paul's language is, is kind of awkward. You know, it, it just doesn't feel right. What does it mean to learn Christ? It, it, it just kind of hit me weird and I, I had to deal with it. And fortunately, when something hits you weird and you deal with it, usually good insights come. So I, I started thinking, okay, what else do we learn? Well, you learn algebra, for example, or you learn German, for example. And is that what learning Christ is like? Is it like learning these things? It might surprise you that I say, yeah, I think that's a lot like what it is like. I think it is. Learning Christ is like learning algebra or German. Because when you learn whatever field of thought, that you're working on, whatever science or whatever subject you want to know better. You learn the large ideas. You you get a big picture of what is going on in this subject, but then you learn all the little day-to-day details that you have to know. And at first you have to work and you have to memorize and, and conjugate verbs and you have to do all this stuff. And eventually, as you continue to grow in your learning of this subject, you begin to master it, and you don't even think about how to conjugate this verb or that verb. It becomes second nature to you as you progress. Now, it is also like that with learning Christ. And Paul is going to explain to us, not all of it, I don't want you to get the wrong idea, but a very important part of of what it means to learn Christ, especially in regard to how we think. And so the second blank on your notes, if you're following these, says choose fullness by learning Christ. You have futility as an option. You can choose to live a futile life or you can have the fullness that is in Christ that Paul talks about in Ephesians 416 or not 16, um, I think it's 13, just a few verses before this. So if you are going to live a full life instead of a futile life, you are, what you are going to have to learn is about what Christ does and who he is. And again, we'll read this same passage because it's so central to what we're talking about he says put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed i love that in the spirit of your minds and lastly to put on the new self created after the likeness of god in true righteousness and holiness Paul, here as well as in Colossians 3, outlines exactly how you and I are to go about overcoming sin. Now, how many of you have ever struggled with com- overcoming some sin that is in your life? Yeah, pretty much every single one of us. This is why I wanted to re preach this sermon. Because this is absolutely central to who we are as human beings. With our understanding of our thought life that we just talked about, what I want to do to end this is to pull apart this, these three verses so that we can learn how to overcome sin. And that begins with verse 22 where it says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Very simply, just easy explanation, putting off your old self is to recognize a sinful pattern. It's a habit that you have fallen into with regards to a particular sin and reject it. To turn away from it. To say, I don't want to do that habit anymore. So, when you see yourself about to turn left, you go straight. You put the sin off. You cut off your hand. You gouge out your eye. You do whatever it takes to turn away from that sin. One of the helpful verses that you can memorize in with this regard, is 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I know, I didn't memorize the ESV. Back then it was the NIV. Christianity is, as I have often said, simple faith in jesus is not complex neither is it easy but you being able to resist the sin that you have struggled with all your life really is as simple as not doing it if you are a member of the body of christ if you are one who trusts in god's promises Now, I just got to know that somebody, if you're awake, is thinking, huh, all right, Greg, how about you? Why do you keep struggling with sin? Is anybody thinking that? No amens? Okay. All right, look, I didn't say it was easy, remember? I didn't say it was easy. But listen, this is very important. Overcoming sin is not mysterious. Overcoming sin is not something that only a few chosen mystical hermits can accomplish in some far-off desert monastery. It is a long-term, indeed, lifelong process, but one that you can begin right now. My friends, I... I'm going to stop for a second. You've got to get this point. Don't miss this point. Overcoming sin is not some weird, fanciful thing that nobody can really do, but we all talk about it. It's something you can do. It'll take a long process. But you can begin that process tonight. In fact, if you look on your notes on the back half, I wrote, Uh, I kind of abridged something that John Piper wrote and I tweaked it to make it fit what we're talking about. But he has this question, when my mind drifts to banal and trivial things, angry birds, for example, and my soul shrivels, my word is soul cancer, we let these things get into our, our soul and it becomes cancer. It eats away at what is truly life? And he asks the question, what shall I do? And he gives a whole list. I, I copied four of them. Number one, I will call to mind amazing things about God. Go to Lamentations 3 and read some pretty amazing things about God. He says, I will remember his all-gracious covenant. I think it's great. Today we were in 1 Corinthians 16, and this is what he tells us to go to. I will set my mind on the things of of the Spirit. Romans 8.5 I will consider His wondrous works. Here's the bottom line. Turn your mind to heavenly things. When you start to lose the fight against futile thoughts, turn your mind to things that really are important. Now right now I'm reading this really thick book and you guys may not want to read it, but it's called... Salvation Accomplished by the Son. And I love it because when I'm getting ready to go to bed, I read just a few pages and my thoughts are no longer about camping trips and whatever mundane things that I've been thinking about today. But now I'm thinking about what the Lord accomplished for me. And He's taking me think in, in areas that I wouldn't have normally Thought of. He's talking about how this, the sinless life of Christ was a part of what made me, what enabled me to be saved. Ultimately, obviously, through death, Christ's death and resurrection. But turn your thoughts to things that are eternal. You can begin that process by choosing to put off your old man, your old habits that lead inevitably to sin. And then, verse 23, he says, to be renewed, back one, we're not to First Corinthians yet, um, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, here, I want you to catch something. I know it's grammar. Some of you aren't English majors. It's okay. But this is important, and I think it's something that anybody can catch. He just said a command, put off your old man. And now he gives us another command But this command is a little bit different. He says, be renewed. Well, I think I could figure out what it would mean to renew something, to go in, repair it, fix it up so it makes it look good, paint it. But what does it mean to be renewed? Now, this this is something that ought to catch your attention. Obviously, this renewal is either the direct action by someone else. Someone else is doing this renewal and I am standing there being renewed. Or, the other option that this could be pointing at is that there is something that I can do, but this renewal will be an indirect result of whatever it is that I'm doing. I'll explain that in just a minute. But it, it would be something that I'm Doing this in order to do this. Now, in this case, I think both answers are correct. First of all, if you don't go through the effort of putting off and putting on, you will never grow in your relationship with God. Period. You cannot simply say, Oh God, make me holy. 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 And then go flipping through your favorite shopping web pages. All you will do is experience more and more and more and more coveting. Fill in whatever sin blank you want to fit there. It will work the same way. Praying, God, protect me, and then going right back into the lion's den is not wisdom. Thank you for laughing. I needed that. Remember that we have said many times that God saves us. God is the one who saves our soul. And he is the one who took us, spiritually dead people, and made us alive. You and I could not have done that work ourselves. This is called justification in the Bible. But sanctification, or the process of being made more and more like Jesus, is the reaction, or excuse me, the result of an action both by God and by myself. It is a work that we do together. Now, again, I'm hoping that at least in your mind, somebody is sitting there thinking, okay, Greg, I got you again. You're missing something really important. And you're right. If I left it here, then I'd be missing something very important. Because what I've outlined is Paul's description of how you and I can overcome our sin. But again, you then have to ask the question, All right, physician, heal thyself. How come you're not sinless? And if any of you think that I'm sinless, my wife is right there. You can ask her. She'll straighten you out right away. (laughs) I got one laugh. That was it? You guys are tough. (laughs) The real question is, Greg, where's the gospel? Where's the gospel in all this? Because Do-it-yourself religion, saving yourself from your own sin, last I checked, is not the gospel. And believe me, it is not the gospel. Are you relying on yourself to overcome your sin? Don't you need the cross? Indeed. Amen. Don't let anything I say make you believe that I think I can overcome my sin myself. I've tried for years, and I still can't do it. That idea that you can overcome your sins by yourself is heresy. But here's how the good news of Jesus Christ fits into the picture of Paul's explanation of how you and I can deal with sin. He says, be renewed in the attitude of your mind. Allow Jesus to be your righteousness. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Consider Him who endured such suffering. Trust the promises of God for you in Christ. Now here is one of the promises that holds these two in tension. The proper amount of tension that they need to be held in. And that's in Second Corinthians 7.1 where Paul says, since we have these promises, we have promises from God to us about what He will do for us. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The point that Paul is making in 2 Corinthians 6 and then ending that point here in verse 1 of chapter 7 is that It is because of God's promises that we can work out of this good news, this gospel, in order to bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. What promises? All of God's promises for you in Christ. In fact, one of your jobs, believer is to know the Bible well enough that you've got the promises on the tip of your tongue so that you know when you're facing this temptation, you can fight it. And in fact, it's a lot easier than that, really, because you know where you're tempted. You know where your struggle lies. So all you've got to do is go to the passages that talk about that struggle, and everybody's struggle is somewhere in the Bible and memorize those devour those eat those put them into your heart the good news of Jesus Christ all your sins can be give, can be forgiven through faith in Christ that's the good news this good news is what we need in order to be renewed so that we can then take the next and last step of Paul's very brief outline of the process of overcoming sin, and that is to put on the new self. If what you do is you simply identify this particular sin that you're struggling with, and you say, okay, for example, coveting, but you can list any sin that you want to in that blank, I struggle with coveting. Therefore, I am going to put that off. When I run into a situation where I'm coveting about this thing, I am going to turn away from it. I'm going to turn my eyes away from worthless things. I'm going to turn my eyes towards God. And that's all you do is just turn your eyes away from this. Then you're going to try to be living in a vacuum. Jesus cryptically alluded to this reality when he spoke of demons demonizing someone. This is, this is one of those passages, follow with me here, in Matthew 12, 43-45. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So will it be with this evil generation. Now, I need to be careful here because I'm not denying that Jesus is explaining some reality about spiritual beings. I'm not denying that, but I also don't know how much I can comment on that either. What I'm affirming, what I am saying based upon these verses is that if we simply try to overcome our sins by our own strength, what happens is that we are overcome by worse sins than the one that we began with. And if we are overcome by worse sins than we started with, Satan's more than happy to give you that trade. Now, to get back to the good news, remember, the holiest people in Jesus' day were the Pharisees. And you know what Jesus had to say to them because they were trusting in their own righteousness and they scorned the promises of God to give them and other righteousness. And because they scorned God's promises, he called them whitewashed tombs. Yeah, no problem. You don't want to lust. You don't want to be covetous. No problem. I'll make you the most prideful people that ever existed. And it's that prideful self-centeredness in whatever flavor it comes out as that Jesus says, you guys are a bunch of whitewashed tombs. Satan will gladly make you a whitewashed tomb if you don't want to be a drunkard. But frankly, I think there's more hope for the drunkard because it was the drunkards and the prostitutes that were going to Jesus in mass. But my friends, what Paul is telling us in this passage is that if we are willing to make the trade that Jesus is offering us, he will give us a new man for the old one. And the new man is this new self is the one that's created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. I want to help you understand something here. The first point is that there is a process. There is something that you can do in order to overcome your sins. There is a process that you can begin tonight, putting off the old, being renewed in the spirit of your mind and putting on the new that you can do. My friends, by the grace of Jesus Christ, you can become a new man or a new woman. And the second point is this is very much tied together with the good news of Jesus Christ, trusting in the promises that he made that will renew you. Because he's got to be the one that does it. I can't do it myself. But then when you go back to this passage, Ephesians 4, 17-24, you find something very interesting. You find in chapter 17 a person who has these futile thoughts. They're empty. They're worthless. They're aimless. They're going to get you nowhere good. And what you end with is one who who is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Back in high school, I was going to a youth group and uh, there was a guy who was just a couple years old, older than me leading uh, this youth group. And I remember one of uh, his lessons that he was talking about. He uh, was talking about and, and he, he had a really hard time explaining it. And so I struggled for years trying to figure this out. He said, you know, this idea of created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. He he said, you know, you'll become more like Jesus, but you'll be more like you as well. And, you know, this idea bounced inside my head for years, and I I really didn't get it. And then I remember uh, I was upgrading something. It was probably Microsoft Ninety-five or something like that. I was up upgrading my computer, and I realized that all of these computer programs all have, you know, Microsoft version 1.0, Microsoft version 2.0, Microsoft version 3.5, or whatever uh, the, the deal is. And here is, I think, a, a useful way of thinking about what this process is, is as we begin to trust in God's grace more and more. As we begin to be men and women who continually, as a process, put off the old man, we be renewed in the spirit of our minds by the grace of God, and then put on the new man, the new habits that are good. We become more like Jesus, but we are more, in essence, who we were meant to be. We become ourselves, version 8.2. And this, my friends, is, I think, a really good, helpful way for us to think about it because God loves you exactly the way you are. And he loves you too much to let you stay that way. So, my friends, this week, begin the process. Allow the Holy Spirit to begin the process in you to make you the better version of yourself that you can be. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, we do give you praise and glory because you are wonderful. You are the God who loves us exactly the way we are, and you love us, Lord Jesus, too much to leave us this way. God, I pray that my brothers and sisters and I will be able to walk with you in such a way that we become followers of Jesus in a new and vibrant way, and that we remember what we dwell on will determine how well we live. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.